standard issue for all women. Hi, Hannah here and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops. It's the second of our special series of interviews that we're running in November as part of our International Men's Day output. And in it, I chat to actor, writer, all-round good bloke, Matt Fraser, about a new series he's curated for the BBC, Cryptales, which is a series written, acted by, and made by entirely disabled cast and crew. It is absolutely cracking. Matt does give a plug for it at the end. I'm going to give another plug for it here. Cryptales is on the iPlayer and is available to watch until the end of the year. And you should certainly check it out. That interview's coming up now, but just as a plug for what you'll be able to hear in the future, Jen's been to the room next door to meet Michael Spicer, and Mickey has been on the phone to Richard Herring to talk about his new book, The Problem with Men, When is International Men's Day and Why It Matters. Plus, she's chatting to the Good Lad Initiative, which is a gender equality charity working to tackle the root causes of inequality and promote positive masculinity. Plus, if you haven't listened to it already, our first International Men's Day podcast is available. It was last week's Chops, and I spoke to the absolutely smashing Andrew Cotter, who you will probably know best as the owner of Olive and Mabel Internet Sensations. Enjoy this interview coming up. Until next time. Hi, I am joined on Zoom by actor, writer, musician, man of many talents, Matt Fraser. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Thank you for having me, Hannah. It's a real honour and a thrill to be on Standard Issue. Great. Now, here we are. First day of lockdown. Uh, Seems the pertinent time to ask you how 2020 has been for you. Well, you know, I mean, there are commonalities I think we've all shared. Arriving at eventual, it being okay to at least one day a week just stare at the wall contemplating the point pointlessness of existence <laughs> rather than doing whatever you told yourself you were going to do that day also you know seeing old movies in the morning having a drink in the morning all those things that we know are possibly not the most constructive way forward to completing the script or whatever it might be yeah. <laughs> but we just did it anyway so I've learned like we all have to let go a bit and allow that to happen and not punish myself because what, from what framework do we punish ourselves about that? It's from that weird framework that was lived before where we were stressed all the time, working all the time and trying to get what we couldn't get all the time. We've all let go of a bit of that slightly, haven't we? Those of us that are lucky enough not to be worried about whether to feed or heat our yeah. children, that is. But what for me, what happened was I was already into two weeks into writing Dick Rivington and his cat, which, so I write Panto for a New York audience. We're the only people, me and my wife, Julie, at this music direct, the only people who successfully managed to do it. And I think that's because I've lived in America long enough to understand how you have to change the beast. It is panto. It's all about community and nostalgia. But no one in America is nostalgia and nostalgic for medieval England with the ye old inn and those large cuffs on their sleeves. And it, in fact, it was the it was the Starsky and Hutch New York that they were nostalgic for so we we set it in a 70s new york and it worked very well anyway so i was two weeks into it so i didn't really notice because i was locked into my writing thing so it took me another six weeks to finish it like second draft and then then it was april sort of late april and i looked up and was like oh lockdown which everyone else had got used to yeah so that i i then had a massive dump in may of depression and slap i didn't put clothes on for like three weeks I've got such leathery feet, soles on my feet. 
that I've actually had to start wearing shoes, not that I need to, just so it doesn't feel so weird when I do put shoes on again. Yeah. I'm not uh, immune vulnerable, but, you know, I smoke a lot of weed and I'm 58, so... I did not want to fucking catch Corona. Thank you very much. Matt, you appreciate this of the converted here. <laughs> right? So all that lung shit that you read about. So yeah. I, I'm, I was super careful. So I didn't, I didn't go to the house for like eight weeks. And my muscles wasted away. I've got pains in my hips that are still with me. Um, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my hour yoga every day now. Yeah. You know, my exercises and my stretches. And it's got a lot better. But fucking hell, it was devastating on me physically. And then mentally, of course, my wife, you know, although we both work in trying to develop TV scripts and, and what have you, is primarily a live entertainer and a choreographer of live entertainment in clubs and shows all around Las Vegas and everything, because she's coming from a showgirl place. She's had nothing to do the whole time. Mm. It's been crazy. So we've meted out, you know, meal times, especially, you know, around about five, we start discussing what we're going to eat. And then we spend a lot of time ritually preparing the meal eating it in not with the telly on eating it enjoying the meal washing up and tidying up all the stuff that we never used to do Mm. before lockdown because it takes two hours out of your 24 hours of boredom um so that was an issue so then we got some i I will finish soon hannah sorry i'm the world's longest question answering (laughs) and we were like well what are we going to do we creative we're always at our best when we've got a project to go together and we were going spare. And then we got this weird stimulus package that they give couples in America. So we bought a brand new iPad, the, the iPad Pro, top of the range, $1,200, because it's got three cameras and the most incredible sound recording you've ever fucking heard coming out of a, a machine where the mic is like eight feet away from the subject because that's the shot you need. Yeah. But normally you'd have to go in for some close miking or boom, boom it. Anyway, so we made, she got a gardening job with her mate up in derelict houses in upstate New York, where everything looks like the Amityville Horror House. So we just watched the Epstein documentary. So I wrote, in three days, I wrote a, a pedo-based horror film about satanic sex parties and a woman, a girl that had been traumatised and grown up and gone loony and now kills blokes. And so we made that film, Julie being the expert in blood. And she then downloaded Lumafusion, which is a 30-quid, uh, you know, like pretend uh, premiere edit thing learned it and fucking edited it so she's been so busy she's been hunched over her ipad and now we have a finished short horror film that is gruesome god knows how we're going to show it to anybody (laughs) but that's what we've been doing we went a bit spare we realized we had to stay creative to stay sane we couldn't do what we normally do so we adapted and made a little film the problem with it is we're such crazies and demented when it comes to that kind of thing there's very few people who won't be actually disturbed by this film. We've missed our little window, which was Halloween. Yeah. You can get away with anything on Halloween if you drop it on Halloween. <laughs> but now we've got this really sick fucking film <laughs> <laughs> that we don't know what to do with. So that was the end. I promised on my next night, so it'll be much shorter. <laughs> no, don't worry. You mentioning weed, I'm going to come back to that because yesterday in the election in America, I don't think Biden was a winner. I don't think Trump was a winner. I think drugs were the winner of the American election. Huge. Yeah, New Jersey. New Jersey. New Jersey. Also, Oregon decriminalising possession of any drug, which is so interesting because it means that Mm. people who get caught with meth or heroin aren't going to get sent to prison. They're going to get sent somewhere that will help them, which is Mm. just an incredible thing. Well, the Dutch and the Portuguese, um, I don't know if you've, 
read up on the, you know, the Cusco Portuguese yeah. have been there for 20 years or so. And so they've got long-term research results on what the effects are. And they see drug addiction as an illness, not as a crime, mm. you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, all, I mean, all the news is good. You have to legalise everything because then you can control it much better yeah, and take it out of the hands of the thugs. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a particular popular opinion. People always sort of give me a big eyes thing. And, you know, the most dangerous drug on earth is alcohol. <laughs> that is legal. So here we are. Well, I mean. Well, we know that, don't mm-hmm. we? I mean, God. Yeah. You know, fuck. Yeah. It's just the worst. I mean, smackheads that I've known because I'm old enough. Heroin was pretty popular in the mid-80s yeah. amongst the people that I was hanging out with, although I never thankfully dabbled. Most of them, thankfully, got managed to get off it, but became alcoholics. Yeah. And then found that much harder, much harder to, to rid themselves of than yeah. the smack addiction. Because they're not offering to sell you smack in Tesco when you're doing your weekly shop. No, but that sparkly bottle of booze is always yeah, there. It's there, calling your name. you in. Let's get on to Cryptales, the series that you yes. did for the BBC. I Honestly, I could sit and chat drug, drugs with you all afternoon, Matt. I think it's crazy interesting. Cryptales part of the BBC's uh, package to celebrate 25 years since the Disability Discrimination Act, which in itself horrifies me that that's 25 years. That's You and I were both adults when that happened. That When I think about it now, yeah. that seems it seems entirely wrong. Let's start with how you got involved in this project. Hmm. Um, well, actually, the project came before the season. Oh, did it? Uh, yeah. Um, way back in the day, Mark Gatiss, uh, you know, extraordinarily good writer yeah. of Sherlock and Dracula and, I mean, everything. That Basically, Jack Thorne and him have written everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he did Queers, an anthology of gay men's experiences over 100 years set in one pub as monologues. Went down great. And then they wanted, they went and commissioned Vicky Featherston as the artistic director of the Royal Court Theatre, who used to work for Payne's Plough and is known for developing women writers a lot, to do a women's sort of anthology of writing. Um, and that was called Snatches. She doubled the wit on the title there, right? <laughs> so Debbie Christie, an executive producer who works for BBC Studios, having been commissioned by Lamar Debussy at BBC Arts, approached me to say they'd like me to helm a pitch for doing a disability version of that. We got the pitch and she asked me to curate. She produced brilliantly because she allowed me to curate with freedom, artistic freedom, whilst, you know, making sure we did it properly um, and professionally. And so we did a huge outreach as much as we could. Luckily, I have been in the game for 25 years and do know a lot of the faces and pens and yeah. writers and what have you and lenses. It was very important to me. First off the bat, I said, look, Vicky, and every single person involved in that was a woman. Fantastic. Everyone on the floor, everyone creative. Now, what an achievement. It must have been incredible being yeah. in that studio. Do you know what I mean? I can't imagine what it'd be like if everyone was disabled. I said, well, that's never going to happen because I've never seen anyone disabled behind the camera or holding a boot mic or whatever. But all the creators, writers, directors and actors all have to be disabled. And I'm not doing it unless that's the case. She said, of course. Um, and we proceeded and got, luckily, Jack Thorne, the most famous disabled writer in the world, immediately agreed to do one. But he said, but I want to write for this guy and I want to write about this. Yeah. And that was very much the pattern, because what are you going to do? Go, we've got have one deaf, one blind, one wheelchair, one little person <laughs> and one flid. You're not going to do that. You know what I mean? Sorry, may I just say flid is a reclaimed word. That yeah, I know. <laughs> can really say without political complications. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, we're gonna get Although to it's that. up to you at home, you can call yourselves whatever you like at home. 
it's I'm not big on the name calling stuff. For me, it's about what people with the gen with the vibe that someone generates. If they say handicapped along the way because they didn't know any better, I ain't gonna give them a hard time for it. You know what I mean? Pretty soon we had a collection of writers. We only had to audition for one monologue, and that was Carly Houston who got the part in The Shed by Matilda Bibini, a black disabled woman who writes a story about a black disabled woman who's gay, who falls in love with her married neighbour next door, but her carer doesn't approve. Yeah. And it's about the power that somebody who's got your keys, your passcodes and your cards can wield on you, you know? It's really ominous. Me, I wanted us, I actually wanted us to go full horror on that one and actually treat it like a horror script. Yeah. Um, but but then we realised that that would be slightly incongruous to the vibe of the rest of them. and that We wanted like a package feel to the whole lot. So anyway, that's how it came about. It's been the most fantastic process Every little step along the way has just been a joy. Um, I'm so thrilled because all the writers came back. I said, don't fucking give me no safe shit, all right? Write something dangerous. And man, they delivered. God, they delivered. Yeah. I wanted mine to be cheeky and fun and talk to the industry. I kind of took one for the team. You know what I mean? Because as an actor, knowing I was going to write one as an actor, obviously I'm thinking, well, I should do one where I cry. And then what I like when I get really angry, I show my range as an actor for it to actually yeah. be an audition. Do you know what I mean? An audition, yeah. yeah. But then I thought, no, 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 no. Actually, this is about what I want to tell the industry, what I think about stuff. And so that's what that was. And the others are all more dramas, you know. And and some of the voices that we pulled out, like Jackie Hagen, she's been in the performance poetry scene, mostly around Manchester for about 15 years. She's well known. Jackie's actually been on our podcast before. All right. right. Okay. So I don't need to tell you guys about Jackie, but what a discovery. My God, she's a good television actor. I mean, she should be. Anyway, all the the journalists are like, so what do you, what's your one takeaway from this? What do you really hope this is going to achieve? And I just say, well, you know, small steps. I want every single disabled creative participant to get one more job in the television, in the world of television from this. But frankly, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to try. I, I think that we should be the, the, this group and perhaps an expanded group um, should be uh, doing half hours because the problem here is that the television industry, you know, the audiences are fine. They're fucking ready for it. We're obviously yeah. ready for it. We've been gagging at the bit for fucking 25 years. Um, shouldn't have told me I can swear because I've gone into my natural vernacular now. Sorry. <laughs> and I keep forgetting that this is commissioned by the BBC for me to talk to you. So anyway, whatever. But the television executives are nervous and they don't trust us. This is where black writers were before us and women writers were before black writers, presumably. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. No, there are lots of parallels, although we're all different. There are many commonalities. If you're not white, straight, able-bodied, heterosexual bloke, they can't trust us to do a full drama. So what I've managed to get is 15 minutes of a disabled actor in the spotlight, which is rare, but written by a disabled writer and directed by a disabled director, but has all the hallmarks of what we might term inverted commas, classic high quality BBC drama. You know, it delivers yeah. on that score. It's not like, oh, and they're those people as well. It belongs where all the good dramas belong. So they've got the same lens on it. And so what I want them to do now is do half hours because they're mini full dramas. They could be low budget. But what it will do is show the, the commissioners and the TV executives that these writers can handle full dramas. So maybe yeah. then they'll go on to full series I think the the ball is rolling on the actors. We still need to keep pushing. Mm. But it's unless the writers, because you don't get this kind of material from non-disabled writers. You just don't. 
You're not gonna. You know, men writing about women's issues is shit compared to women yes, writing about it. So why wouldn't it be the same with disabled people? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Got there's so much to unpack there. You were talking about words, so here we go. You've called it cryptos. Mm. Now that's a word again mm-hmm. that that belongs to to your community to use yes. and not for me to use. In fact, it makes me uncomfortable saying it now. Sure. Was that kind of the point? No, it was. Um, I was like, shit, shit, queers, snatches. What do we got? What do we got? <laughs> it's got to be witty. It's got to say two things with one word. Yeah. Um, and we were like tales from the crypt. And yeah. that was kind of witty, but would work better in America because that's an American series. Crip Camp had just come out, which was that's Michelle right. Obama's first uh, documentary with her new company. And the word Crip is sort of enjoying a renaissance of popularity, whereby it was sort yeah. of dying a, a, a sort of socio-political death language-wise. Um, but it's back. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm proud to be disabled. And Crip is a great word. And Crip Tales... What, what are you going to call it? Disability monologues. I mean, here's, yeah. here's what I would say <laughs> to any listener, thinking that Cryptales is shit. We, I think we went through pretty much every single description of what this could be. And this was yeah. the one that, that the large group of people who were part of the deciding process, because it wasn't just me, guys. They went all the way up to the top of the BBC and back down again. Yeah. This is what we arrived at. Okay, the second thing, talking about auditions there. Now, I mean, I obviously work predominantly with other women. Therefore, a lot of the faces on there were familiar to us. Obviously, we know Liz, Liz Carr, that is for listeners. And Jackie Hagen, like I say, has been on the podcast before. But also, you know, I could probably name maybe half a dozen at least Lisa Hammond, Sherry Lee Houston, you know, uh, disabled actresses who have been in long term things on the television. Mm. I don't know if it's because I work predominantly with women or I don't know if it's because this is actually a thing that happens. But I can't name as many disabled men. Is there an odd thing that exists? Maybe it's in some strange way that disabled women have become the beneficiary of sexism in an odd way. In that it's easier for disabled women to be cast because women's roles tend to be a bit more passive than men's Ooh. roles. Deconstruction of cliche traditional binary gender roles. And that's certainly the first time I've ever heard that espoused as a theory. And it could be entirely true. I mean, thinking oh, about sorry. it, I think that's entirely possible. I think that I do actually think there are more disabled men actors than women actors that have got breaks. But I also think that as the breaks are getting better, as time moves forward, women are, you know, happening to come to the fore when it happens. And um, things are, you know, philosoph- philosophically, I've come to the point where if something is, is something meant to be, well, did it happen? Yes. Well, then it was meant to be, whether it was horrible or not. That's what I've done. Mm. So we're just at this point now, aren't we, where Ruth Madeley, Liz Carr, Lisa Hammond are very prominent and um, are pushing, you know, the writers are behind them and the producers are behind them. Maybe they don't know what to do with us blokes because we don't fit the leading man stereotype. Yeah. And also the projections, you know, because my bottom line here is TV executives, these showrunners, the commissioning editors, the people with the real power all went to very similar schools. And I'll tell you who was not at their schools, backing disabled people. Otherwise, <laughs> they, it would be easy for them to imagine us in their dramas and they would just commission us without it being an issue. But it is an issue. And maybe, you know, they're projecting their male hero 
into what they want to see and we don't fit that. Whereas their projections yeah. of a woman as being passive and recipient and all that rubbish, easy, it fits easier their image of a disabled woman. So you could well be right, yeah. I didn't know whether that, that question was rude or not. I couldn't work it out. but No, um, not at all rude. I think it's fascinating. You know, this is the kind of shit I love. The inter, you know, the, 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 the cultural considering, political, cultural, yeah. socio stuff. I find it fascinating because understanding it is what writers need to be able to do. Understanding the interest, the industry, uh, intercepting what they're going to be thinking next year and getting it right so that your thing is commissioned is the kind of strategizing that we disabled people have to do because the normal routes of, of, of uh, inclusion are not available to us. Okay, now here's a second question that obviously could come across as it sounding slightly rude and it's absolutely not meant to. Why is it that we as a country have taken what's happened this year with Black Lives Matter and we've been out on the street protesting, everybody throws themselves with great vigour into pride marches, everybody is backing the new wave of rights and yet people aren't out on the street for disabled rights. Why is it somehow perceived as, as less sexy would be the word mm. i'm going to use i don't know if it's the appropriate word well i think i think you've hit on something there white television commissioners used to only present blackness as awkward or problematic or issue-based or angry and then when black uh, create art creators were allowed to represent themselves it got a lot sexier like sexier in the media yeah. way of saying sexier and literally sexier so maybe it's because we haven't been allowed to show how sexy we are yet that we haven't become sexier in both senses right. of that word. But it, it, listen, Hannah, I, I have to be honest here. I, I've always supported people's rights. My first two demonstrations were to free Nelson Mandela and a women's right to abortion, like 1980. It's just who I am. C and D, I've yeah. been on them all. You know, it's just who I am. And as I watched the transition from the programme Transparent to the programme Pose, whereby trans lives were portrayed by non-trans writers, acted by non-trans actors, and then cut forward to five years where Lady J and other trans writers are writing this fantastic pose, which I thought was just glorious for a new voice on television. I'm sitting there in my living room thinking, what the fuck? What? I thought we were next. We were meant to be fucking next. Oh, yeah. I've been waiting for 25 years and suddenly a bit of makeup fucking takes everyone's attention. And of course, I don't think that. And of course, I support full trans rights on every level, every level. But man, when none yeah. of you guys came on our demos, and I'm talking to all of you now who are not disabled, none of you came on our demos. We were on our own, but we went on your demos. So, yeah, yeah, that is an issue, Hannah, for me. It's a big issue. Now, we can't, we can't blame individuals. And I have to call it the socialist worker and militant were the only people who came on those early disability rights demos. The only people back in the day, the one that, you know, 20 years ago, the one that ended up getting the Disability Discrimination Act. I just don't know what it is because, it, 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 I mean, the committed, if they were imbued with an enthusiasm and cared so much, would be ferociously demonstrating on our behalf. Is it that we're not part of a community? Is it that we're largely shut out through physical barriers 
and attitudinal barriers and having been brought up in special schools and, and institutions and educated separately and be kept other. So we're always the other, never one of you, always one of us. I don't know what it is. But what I find particularly strange about it is that for people to support the disability community, mm. it, to me, it makes more sense for me I mean, it's not why I support you. Um, it, I support you. I have to say, largely because when I I went to the Edinburgh Festival, I shared a flat with Liz Carr, and uh, she entirely revolutionised my thought on the disability community. Not that I hadn't supported you before, but I think she opened my eyes to issues that I didn't even know existed. Sure, she just did. Living, yeah. Just living with her, uh, but also a talking to her. But to me, it makes a certain level of sense because I'm never going to be black. And I, I, I'm never going to be, you know, part of the LGBT community now. But I could be disabled at a moment's notice. I literally could go out of my house now and become disabled. Yeah. And therefore, there's almost like a self-interest that people should be able to support you. <laughs> well, it's nice that you should put it like that because that could, that, you know, it's the, it cuts across the board. Anyone can become disabled. Yeah. Donald Trump or, or Jeremy Corbyn could become disabled i couldn't think of two more opposite extremes there um <laughs> yes is it a fear of that is it a fear of disability because it's only ever been portrayed as a negative reduction of the human experience is that why people are reticent to engage with it because they, deep down there's a fear that they might become that awful embarrassed unwanted other thing yeah i i have to say i think that's an ingredient i think there are so many ingredients and i've read a lot of books. I've got a very impressive bookshelf in terms of disability discussions, from cinema of isolation to disability and sexuality, the ultimate guide to sex and disability, all of them on my bookshelf. And um, I think you're right. I think that's a very, uh, very good viewpoint. Um, I guess what I'm trying to do with Cryptales and what we're all trying to do, me and my compadres, whilst trying to eke out a career for ourselves along the way. Certainly Liz Carr could never have been accused of only being a selfish actress. Um, <laughs> we're trying to change things slowly with portrayal. But until, as Ken Loach once said to me, at the back of the Brixton Ritzy, after a Q&A screening of the excellent Carla's song, when I asked him, how do disabled people get to make films like this? He looked at me earnestly and said, and I truly believe this to this day, Hannah, it isn't until the disinformation franchised get their hands on the controls of the means of production that anything will change but i have to tell you the people who currently hold the control of the means of production will not give it up without a fight no. <laughs> and i was like oh my god that was like a, a pure socialism it was fantastic um <laughs> you know it was a, a smaller side it, they were very they're very tall seats at the brixton ritzley and you got your answer your question answered by putting your hand up my hand didn't even reach the top of the seat I had three poignant questions for him. So I wrote them uh, that the very next day during the week of Q&A publicity and pre, pre-release of Carla's song. And I got a fully handwritten two sides of A4 letter back in four days time from Ken Loach during the week he'd been doing all his press and publicity. I was so impressed with that. But yeah. anyway, so so that's how. So maybe now that we're finally with Cryptales and, and other things coming to the fore, disabled writers, I mean, it, it, it's obvious to anyone that watches that. I defy anyone to watch Ruth Madeley's, Lizzie's Mind, well, any of ours, and go, you know what, I preferred it when non-disabled writers 
did the writing and non-disabled actors acted them. It was better then. No one's going to say that. Everyone's going to see it for what it is, a huge upgrade in the quality of representation of disability. And And then when we get to do full dramas and that gets understood and expected in the living rooms of estates and posh houses all over the country, then things might change. That's why I was under a bus 20 years ago, handcuffed to the exhaust pipe <laughs> with my compadre for accessible public transport. So it's funny, you know, I'm meant to be in an audition, but this is much more important. She turned to me and she said, you fucking idiot, take the handcuffs off and go and do the audition. I can't act. You can. You can portray the life we want to see on telly. Go and yeah. do that. That's how you're going to do the fight. And you know what? I've never looked back because I realised that that is how I'm doing the fight. That is what I'm here for is to help portray a better version of disability on screen so that hopefully life will imitate that art. Yeah, well, I have to say your episode audition is absolutely cracking. It's really funny. It obviously comes from all life. But you've mentioned Ruth Madeley. Ruth Madeley's episode is incredibly powerful. Genuinely brilliant television. It destroyed me last night when I watched it. It really did. And I've watched it three times already, you know, because I have to. I'm the curator. But seeing it in situ and finally sitting down and and, and, and the, Genevieve Barr has written the builds to the emotional denouement so well. And Ruth has acted it so well that as you're taking on that journey, you know you're going to, something awful is going to happen. And yeah. then when the tears start, oh, my God, it destroyed me. Yeah. It was so good. Tremendous. Matt, can I ask you, it's, God, it's difficult because here we are, like I keep saying, here we are in, in lockdown too. What's next? Is there something on the horizon for you? Well, yes, the the diary is somewhat empty, but I've never been bored. There's always something to think about. And with me, that means there's always a a plot to to develop. So I've got, you know, several writing projects on the go. I always do. Um, Right now, the momentum of crypto has somewhat surprised me. It's taken more attention than I thought it would and got better reviews than I thought it would. So I'm going to push for a series of half hours because I think that's what's next. So I'm going to put all my energy into that. I am writing a feature film script. Me and my wife are thinking about what homemade film we're going to do next because we really enjoy making these homemade films. And that keeps us engaged with each other in an artistic way because the industry isn't doing that for us right now. And, you know, do the sit-ups. Um, so that that's how we're going to do lockdown just be creative and that's what's next now, in terms of acting I'm actually there's this lovely series called Louder Mill done by Peter Farrelly the Farrelly Brothers and I play Roger the English alcoholic in a, in a maverick group of alcoholics who do kind of 12 steps thing and finally I've got my for series 3 I've got this fantastic episode that's about the whole concept of inspiration porn whereby disabled people are giving, yeah. given awards for being able to drink a cup of tea um, until they're so inspiring, <laughs> which at the bottom of that inspiration thing means your life looks so horrific to me, I can face mine. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. This has been fascinating. Oh, thank you so much. And I hope um, the listeners can uh, catch Cryptales on iPlayer until the end of the year. Standard Issue. For all women.